Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. Full crew today. Mike McDaniel back. What's going on, dude? Shit's been busy, bro. It's just really, really busy. That's kind of where things are at. Well, we're glad to have you, Doug, aren't we, Ricky? Yes, Mike has made his triumphant return. And unlike uh, Mr. Weaver on the Basketball Conference Podcast, we did not put Mike McDaniel on a forced week of paternity leave. So we are we are happy to have Mike here. Yeah. I was listening to that episode and I just started laughing my ass off when he started saying, nope, Mike's back on paternity leave. Yeah. Like much to the chagrin of both my wife and I. Like, it was news to us. Well, we're glad to have you, Mike. Lots of discuss ups and downs in the Hokies last game, the loss to Pittsburgh. But first, before we touch on it all, we have to thank the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the health provider you want to go to if you want one that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Gantz and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. I just want to say really quick, Andrew has just about mastered that read. Because for those folks that are not on this podcast, my man's is laying in bed, like promoting Main Street Pharmacy like a professional. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know, if we're uh, <laughs> if we're recording at 11 p.m., we're recording at 11 p.m. That's fine. It's just uh, I'm going to be where I normally am at 11 p.m. <laughs> you are wearing the Z101 t-shirt, which I appreciate. Yes. Like repping Blacksburg. Z101.3. <laughs> M105.9. But uh, yeah, no, Pittsburgh beats Virginia Tech. A close game uh, for a lot of it. Unfortunately, Virginia Tech uh, allows Pittsburgh six rushing touchdowns, all by a Banacanda. Those are uh, some Tony Dorsett-like numbers, literally tying Tony Dorsett's, you know, school record for touchdowns in a game. Offense shows some life. You know, overall, I'll ask you this, Mike. You feel more confident in the team than you did going into the game. Oh, I mean, parts of it. Yeah. I mean, like, so I haven't been on it a couple of weeks. So let me just like, here's my like Virginia Tech football team update. It ain't good. Like the team's not very good, right? Simple but, way to put it. <laughs> um, that's like this, the quick summary, but there were some signs, right? Like I think getting Malachi Thomas back obviously helped the running game, right? And I think the, there's a lot of issues that's plaguing Virginia Tech's offense, right? But I think one of the main culprits has been 
offensive line play. So how do you help the offensive line? Well, you try to find a way to establish something in the running game, which Virginia Tech has done in like fits and starts this year, but hasn't done really consistently. And I thought they ran the ball pretty well against a good Pittsburgh front on Saturday, right? Enough to open up the passing game a little bit for Grant Wells. So what I'm hoping moving forward is that Virginia Tech's offense is able to produce a little bit more consistently in terms of like multiple first downs, red zone scoring, that sort of stuff. Like, I don't think this is ever going to be a great offense. I'm not even sure it's ever going to be a good offense this year, but can it be like an okay offense where it's like not just hamstringing you from being competitive in some of these ACC games down the stretch? Like that's, that's kind of the question I have. And I think that getting Malachi Thomas back and his ability to kind of make guys miss. And he just runs really hard. He has that element that Virginia tech doesn't really have when he's not in the game. Keyshawn King has been good, but like he's a different type of running back, right? Like he's been Malachi banged Thomas, up a lot too. And he's been banged up and like Malachi Thomas is more of like a between the tackles. Not that he can't make guys miss in the open field, but he's more of a between the tackles type back. And Keyshawn King's not that guy. He's an open, you know, get him out in space in the open field and let him work. So I think they make a really good one, two punch. And I think you saw that on Saturday. And I think it's going to help Grant Wells. I think it's going to help the offensive line a little bit moving forward. So that kind of stuff was encouraging, but the stuff that's like a little bit discouraging is the stuff that's been plaguing Virginia Tech's offense specifically. We'll talk about the defense in a minute because it was the worst game Virginia Tech's defense has played all year. But offensively, like what I, what I did like is that, you know, they're able to run the ball. They're able to throw it a little bit, but it's the same issues that keep popping up, right? It's like offensive tackle, like Parker Clements and Silas Jansey, like can't consistently block anybody. So we were worried coming into the year about the depth of the offensive line, right? We, we weren't sure how good the offensive line was going to be from a starting standpoint, but we felt at least pretty good about who the guys were going to be and like what the stars were going to look like. But the starting offensive line has not been very good tackle has been a nightmare for Virginia Tech all year and it was bad once again on Saturday especially in the second half when Pitt started to kind of separate and pull away so that stuff popped up there was still some game management stuff that popped up that that I didn't love like Grant Wells taking a sack on third down um, to knock Tech out of field goal range at the end of the first half like that's stuff they got to clean up still but yeah I mean offensively there were definitely some positives to to take away and you know I, I think that you know moving forward throughout the rest of the year like the schedule is not getting any easier through the month of October but I think there's some opportunity for Tech's offense to improve a little bit which is something that I was hoping going into the pit game but not something that I thought would be happening I guess. Andrew you ready? what are your thoughts? Well I just about agree with everything Mike said about the offense um, Caleb Smith continues to be a reliable receiver and I'm hopeful that Tyler Bowen will try and find more ways to get him the football. He's, he's far and away tech's best, uh, best wideout. Um, kind of disappointed that we only saw Daquan Wright for part of the game. I would have liked to have seen him get involved more. He's someone that has started to show up on, you know, when you're watching the game and in the, in the passing game where he's finding, um, finding open, uh, open spaces and he's able to get things done uh, as a receiver. Uh, Keyshawn King continues to be a, a good kind of low-end RB1, high-end RB2 kind of guy. And that's really what Tech needs him to be if Malachi Thomas is going to be healthy. I was pretty surprised that Malachi made such a difference in the run game. Um, and it, it 
I think it's kind of an indictment on some of the other guys who have been getting a lot of the carries, including Jalen Holston, which Mike, I know you had your own special interaction with Jalen um, after the pick game. And that's one way, to, that's one way to put it. Yeah. If you want to talk about that, you can, I'm not going to steal your story, but um, let's just say that Jalen felt like he was being unfairly criticized and, and I, you know, I get it. He's fighting out there and, you know, Jalen's, Jalen's given a lot to this program despite never really um, getting a ton of carries. But the reason he's never gotten a ton of carries is because he's never been all that effective. And it's the same thing with, with this year's team and, and this year's version of him. And, you know, I certainly hope he's able to get his foot healthy because it certainly looks like he's dealing with a nasty foot injury, but, you know, give him credit. <clears throat> he's still playing. I respect it. He's playing hard, but, Jane Tech needs to go in a different direct, uh, different direction at running back. But the bigger problem here, and I, I hate to be the the Debbie Downer, but folks sometimes love it when I do that. Um, just about all of the progress on offense is completely overshadowed by a complete collapse defensively over the last two games. I mean, there's no other way to put it against Carolina, Virginia Tech's secondary was just torched and exposed uh, by Drake May and North Carolina's receivers. And uh, contrary to pro football focus, which this is maybe a separate discussion we need to have, Virginia Tech's rush defense against Pittsburgh was horrendous. Uh, Pro football focus graded out at like an 86, which is just absolutely absurd. But – their rush defense against the Panthers was awful. And I understand that there were a lot of big plays that helped skew some of the average or the, the rush per average data, you know, cause Abanacanda had like four or five massive runs, but those still happened. Those are still important. They still had an outsized impact on the game. And um, it was, it, it, it's extremely frustrating to see the regression on the defense side of the ball because the the whole point of year one under Brent Pry was that we would see slow progress right you would see the offense start to pick things up you know after a a rough start the defense may be able to just get a little bit better and sustain some of that success that they had had early in the season that ain't happening folks not on defense Uh, Armani Chapman and Breon Murray are a serious liability at cornerback Dax Hollifield has been exposed in back-to-back weeks, uh, both in the pass game and the run game. Um, Kelly Lawson and Jaden Keller are really not comfortable in coverage. Uh, and the defensive line just does not play with gap integrity. At least they, they certainly didn't against, uh, against Pittsburgh. So the defense really needs to get right this week against Miami. And I know that's kind of a tough ask because Miami's got playmakers all over the field, but the, the, the bigger takeaway for me, even though the offense certainly showed signs of improvement was an abysmal performance for the second consecutive week on defense. The pro football focus grades are interesting and you can kind of see where they might be coming from though, to some extent. Because like you said, Ricky, there was a number of plays where, you know, seemed like you were watching the same plays over and over again with Vanikana getting into space and just off to the races. But first, second down, you know, Virginia Tech was 
at least early on in that game, really able to stuff Pitt at the line of scrimmage. And then Abanacanda essentially broke the dam midway through. But, I mean, you remember, Pitt fans are booing, you know, in those first couple series because Virginia Tech's defense was holding strong. And then, you know, there's no other way to put it than utter collapse. And despite any good that may have happened, I mean, the final score is the final score. The defense's job is to hold. You know, you have two good plays out of three every time, and that's a first down. And, and essentially, that's what we saw from Virginia. I made yeah, a I joke. Mean, and I, real quick, I made, I made a joke to, to Joey on, our, on my ACC pod last night when we recorded. I told him that, you know, Pat Narduzzi is totally vindicated from firing Mark Whipple, the best offensive coordinator he's ever had at Pittsburgh, because Abanacanda had 300 yards rushing and six touchdowns. And I was like, just kidding. No, he's not vindicated. They're setting <laughs> offense back like 100 years. Like, this is an aberration performance. I, I don't think firing Mark Whipple was a good idea. I'm not sure Pittsburgh, by the way, is particularly good. Like, I think Pittsburgh will make a bowl game, but I'm not sure they're going to win like eight or nine games. I think they're their ceiling at this point is probably like seven and five. I didn't come away from Saturday's performance saying, yeah, Pittsburgh, really impressive. Like I, I thought Izzy Abanacanda was really impressive. I think he's a good player to begin with. So like him having the performance that he had, it was shocking to the, to the degree that, you know, Virginia Tech plays poorly as they did there in, in trying to contain him. But like, I didn't come away from the performance being like, oh my God, Pitt's a wagon, Pitt's winning the coastal and they and they might win the coastal. I don't know. But like I didn't come away from that performance Saturday feeling like Pittsburgh was like just this outstanding team that you know Virginia Tech just got beat by better guys. Like this was a this was a close. This was thirty one twenty nine there in the second half, and you know the dam. I, I think that that's a great phrase, Andrew. Like the dam breaking because that's basically what happened. Like Virginia Tech's offense basically did all that they could, and then the defense just time and time again, like especially on third down, just like couldn't get off the field. Right. It was like, oh, my God, just like get a stop. In the it wasn't half. even they couldn't just get off the field like they couldn't keep Israel Abanacanda from running 50 yards. Like, right, right. It was like chunk play, chunk play, chunk play in, in the running game. It was just a, a punch in the teeth like right. every five minutes. And right. that's that's so far removed from what we thought we were going to get from this defense after the first few games. And I, I get that tech's schedule was weak early on uh in terms of the the kinds of offenses that they were playing but like Pitt doesn't have much of a passing threat right now keaton slovis is just kind of mid i mean 15 of 28 for a buck 70 he picked on Breon murray a ton of a bunch on the first quarter and um that's one of the reasons why i'm really off on Breon murray at this point but Slovis didn't really have a big impact on this game, and neither did Pitt's receivers. This was Virginia Tech just completely incapable of playing with gap integrity and getting beat by one of the better skilled players in the conference. I mean, if Tech gives up 175 yards rushing to a Banacanda, they win this game on Saturday. Like, if they yeah. give up 175 yards and, like, four touchdowns to a Banacanda, they win this football game. Like, this, this was crazy. Like, they and we forgot about, I mean, we haven't even mentioned the block punt for a touchdown, which, no. which is wild because outside of that specific play, Virginia Tech's special teams were terrible. 
yes <laughs> against and Pitt. have been and and have been right yeah, like which which is a separate conversation we need to have at some point because Stu Holt's not getting it done right now now as the as a special teams guy but it's it's just it's so demoralizing when you have progress like legitimate hey it's not great but it's kind of decent right now on the offense it's the 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 tech offense held their own against Pitt, right? Against the talented front, against the veteran secondary. Tech held their own. That, that That's an improvement, right? I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. But, but defensively, they just blew it. And I all think of that, all that progress, all of that momentum, all of that goodwill goes right out the window when you give up a school record for rushing yards. And I think, and, and I think what we've seen too out of the defense is like, a regression to the mean, right? Because I think the, the, the thing with the first month of the season is that Virginia Tech didn't face any spectacular offenses. I mean, the best offense they faced was West Virginia's. West Virginia has a good quarterback and two good playmakers. Outside of that, they're a pretty average offense, right? They have, <clears throat> they have good team speed, right? And, and that was the best team speed that Tech had played up to that point when they faced West Virginia, right? Late September. But like Virginia Tech, I think, played weaker offensive opponents, right? They played Old Dominion. They played Wofford. They played Boston College, um, whose offensive line has been brutal this year, right? <laughs> yeah. um, they played West Virginia, and it was six, It was 16 to 10 in the fourth quarter, right? So it's not like West Virginia lit up Virginia Tech's offense. But I think what you've seen the last two weeks is you've seen two more efficient units offensively, right? Like, I just got done making fun of Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh's lack of passing game. Ricky just alluded to it again, um, but they're efficient in the running game, and they're the most efficient one way in the it. running game. And well, yeah, they're real they're efficient. Explosive this in the running game. Yeah, they're they're not usually they're not usually this ex- quite this explosive, but they're definitely explosive in the running game. And then Carolina's offense has been really really good all year, right? So Tech faced two good offenses the last couple of weeks, and we've kind of seen what Virginia Tech's defense has been. I think in totality, right, when you look at Virginia Tech's first six games, the defense is pretty much what I expected them to be. Like, they're going to hold their own against, like, equal to lesser competition. And when they play better competition offensively or at least more efficient competition, right, because I don't think Pittsburgh's, like, crazy explosive in the passing game. They have good running running backs. Like, Tech's going to struggle a little bit. So the defense ends up being about what we expected. I think the last few weeks is more of a regression to the mean. Obviously, Saturday is kind of like the aberration where it's like, I'm not sure how it could be that bad again this year. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe we'll see like real rock bottom defensively, but I'm not sure they could play any more poorly than they did on Saturday. I mean, like you make a very good point, though, with the Bannacanda, like six touchdowns, first of all. It is such an aberration to have six touchdowns in the first place. It's an aberration to have four touchdowns. But when a running back especially gets that many, you know, you figure that a lot of those would just be little punch-ins. Yeah, that right. Was, he only had one touchdown of less than 10 yards of the yeah. six. There was 80, 39, 15, 17, 10. And then he had a five-yard punch in, which still required some skill. And I don't want to take anything away. I mean, I I have a lot of fun making fun of, like, Pat Narduzzi for firing Whipple. I think it's funny. Like, I, I don't think it makes any sense. They just didn't get along. You fired him. It's pretty funny. But, like, I don't want to take anything away from Izzy Abandicanda. Like, really good player. Pitt's offensive line, I thought, played really well on Saturday. I think Virginia Tech 
<clears throat> Virginia Tech played hard, right? I don't think they quit. Um, I, I thought they played hard. I think they really got beat in the trenches. Like, I think Pitt was the tougher team in the trenches, which is a tough pill to swallow if you're Brent Pry and you're trying to build your program on being tough up front on both sides of the ball, right? Which is something that he's talked about before. And Virginia Tech was not the tougher team in the fourth quarter on Saturday, which is like when it really matters, by the way, you know, when it when it's the fourth quarter, that's the second time this year where we've seen Virginia tech really kind of, I don't want to say roll over because I don't think that's fair, but like get beat in the fourth quarter, right? Like there the, were times when it looked like they were rolling over. I, I mean, I don't think they were maybe not necessarily intentionally doing it, but right. they looked slow. They were out of place. Yes. They were not, they weren't attacking the football. Um, you know, kind of on their, on their, you know, their, their heels just out of position. Like, they knew it was happening. Yeah. And they, and, and this is one of the, the biggest things that I have with both the offense and the defense for this team. There's no one that I, that I really trust on either side of the football to really set the tone and to stop the bleeding at any point. Like if you had to look at the defense right now, who on the roster has consistently and reliably been able to come up with a huge tackle or an important tackle for loss or a big sack when it matters? I think the easy answer, if you're talking like in totality in six games, is probably Dax. Not the last two. But in totality, like if you're looking at one player who I think has gone like above and beyond has played way better than I anticipated this year on either side of the ball. Like the answer is Dax. Like, I don't think I would have said that before the last two games. I think he's looked really poor these last two. And I know, I know that the pro football focus grades completely disagree with right. that. Right, right. And, and that's, and again, take, take that for what it's worth. But from my eyesight, he looked very, very poor against Carolina. He was completely overwhelmed in the vertical passing game. And Dax's his his strength is supposed to be playing in a phone booth and being able to hold down the middle and being able to play physical and get off blocks and make tackles. He didn't do that against Pitt. That's where I think I was most disappointed on Saturday is that like where I thought Dax struggled against Carolina was like against the pass where you would expect him to struggle. I thought he played fine against the run against the Carolina. Worst part about that too is they at one point brought in will johnson in the carolina game and he got burnt too yeah yeah so that they, they tried to fix it and it was like nope that's not gonna happen either um maybe not go to a guy who like just tore up his knee right like maybe yeah. try to find somebody somebody else so that's, but there's that's no one else a linebacker that was doing anything Jaden keller struggled uh kelly lawson really struggled i mean they beat right. him with the same route twice yeah i, and I like, have a column publishing on tuesday morning that's gonna show uh, Kelly Lawson getting beat by the same exact route, basically essentially the same play within 15, 20 minutes of each other. Tech's got tech got personnel issues that can only be and really I get it. He's a young guy and and right. you know, he's he's got a ton of snaps ahead of him. You have to assume that he's going to develop a little bit. Let him take his well, lumps. If we're talking about this year's team, Tech's linebackers have not been good. And I understand Dax had a really good start to the season. And he deserves credit for that, but he has not been the player that Tech needs him to be over the last two weeks. I I will say 
the the one thing I wanted to I wanted to add, <clears throat> I was more disappointed with Dax's performance against Pittsburgh than Carolina because I thought where he struggled against Carolina are areas where I expect for him to struggle, kind of where he struggled for four years. But where he struggled against Pittsburgh, like that, that's against the pass, by the way. Against Pittsburgh, where he struggled was both against the run and against the pass. I thought Pitt, the Pitt game was the worst game he's played this year. Um, the Carolina game, I thought he was fine. Like he wasn't great against the pass. Nobody was though. So it's like kind of kind of throwaway there um but when he's not stopping the run like we've seen that percolate before and that's been an issue but he's been good against the run all year saturday was uh his worst performance i thought on the year so far i mean like it's obviously kind of like a trick question to say like who's that game breaker you can rely on when over the course of the last two games the team's allowed 86 points. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, mean, and that's kind of my point is that there's there's no one on either side of the football that you really trust to to stop the bleeding, right? Like I don't I don't really trust any I don't trust Grant Wells to make a big time throw on third down to 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 move the chains. I I I don't trust the running game to be able to convert third and short and fourth and short because they haven't done it all year. And the offensive line is really, really struggling. I don't trust any of the pass rushers to come up with a big sack on third down because they haven't done it in weeks. Right. And I don't trust anyone in the secondary outside of Dorian Strong to be able to hold up on a big-time throw on a third down play because Armani Chapman's looked lost over the last two weeks. Breon Murray looks completely outmatched. Um, they're just – they do not have the the Jimmys and the Joes this year, and it's it's really, really showing. I mean, to that extent, though, Ricky, I mean, that's what this season is going to be, right? I mean, Mike summarized it well. First thing he said coming into the podcast, this isn't a great football team. So when you're not a great football team, you really have to do the little things right. Whether that be bend, don't break, which Virginia Tech, in many drives, barely bent. And then snapped in half. <laughs> Again, it's There's no, no in between. Yeah. Uh, it's about not being penalized. You know, average teams can't afford to shoot themselves in the foot over and over again. And that's something that, between that and, you know, clock management issues. Right. And the like, this coaching staff is clearly taking their lumps as they've adjusted. Tech's not good enough. Tech's not good enough from a personnel standpoint to overcome not doing the little things right. You know, like I think, you know, we can have a conversation about, you know, the talent gap and the issues tech has talent wise, because there's, there's plenty of that and there's depth issues. And we talked about coming into the year on this podcast, we talked about, you know, what the big question marks were. And a lot of those have come true, right? Like offensive line is probably worse than we thought. <laughs> like we were all concerned about the depth, but we probably didn't talk enough about, you know, are these starters going to be any good? I think a lot of us expected a guy like Johnny Jordan, for example, who was an all big 10 honorable mention at Maryland at center. I think we were expecting him to come in and play a little bit better and not have trouble snapping the ball. You know, he's had a snap infraction like four or five different times this year. That's unacceptable as a center. You're you're the guy who's literally responsible for starting the play, right? Like the quarterback calls the cadence and you snap the ball. 
Like that's when the play starts. And he's been unable to do that consistently, right? Like things like that have been an issue for Virginia Tech in ways that maybe I didn't think coming into the year. I said that Virginia Tech was, you know, somewhere in the six and six, seven and five range. I think officially I said seven and five, but I thought that this was going to be a better run team from a game management standpoint than they have been because Brent Pry is, is and is and was, I guess was a really good defensive coordinator, like top four or five defensive coordinator in the sport over the last few years. So I guess I expected him to come in as the head coach and, you know, have the team a little bit more prepared to play in that regard. And that's gotten a little bit better with the penalties, but there's still things that happen during the game where I'm like, man, that's a first-year coach and a first-year staff problem, right? Like, why is it taking, you know, why why are you just now getting to play in with 12 seconds left on the clock and you have you give Grant Wells the wherewithal to change the play at the line of scrimmage? Why is he just now getting to play with 12 seconds left on the play clock? How many times do we watch that where he's just looking at the sideline waiting for the play to come in? You're just like, tick, 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 tick. And before you know, it's a delay of game. It's like, this stuff is preventable. Get the play in. Like you should have two or three plays, right? That that are, you know, there's a look, right? And and that you see, and there's two or three plays that that you can run based off of a look. Like, why is it that Virginia Tech takes 15 minutes to get plays in? Like, that's been really frustrating, and that's been consistent over the course of the year, Rick. Tech, <clears throat> excuse me. Tech currently ranks at the sixth most penalized team in the country. Still. 51 penalties through six games. I mean, you can't win that way. No. And I'm one of the reasons why I thought I had some more optimism coming into the years, because I thought that Brent Pry would coach this team better than Justin Fuente did last year. I'm not sure that he's done that so far. I mean, the, the procedural issues on offense are, are apparent and obvious the special teams regression has been especially uh especially frustrating like peter, peter moore peter moore's was, hurt right wasn't an elite punter last year he's hurt right like punters don't generally just get worse from the time they're like 20 to 21 so right yeah, like there, right i like something's not right like and well also it's not just that but like the punt block was given up like free runners yeah. And like, we didn't, we didn't see that last year. And I'm not here to say that, you know, Brent Pry will never, never be a good football coach, but his staff's been underwhelming so far through the first six games. And I know that a lot of these guys are, you know, relatively new and some of these guys are learning on the job. Chris Marv's learning on the job, but you know, Joe Rudolph's been a veteran offensive line coach for a long time and his offensive line's committing a lot of penalties. Well, that's and, the bigger thing. That's that's the bigger thing. It's not even the execution, Rick. I don't mean to cut you off. It's not even like the execution part of it. Like that's been frustrating too. But it's been like his unit is the one committing a bunch of penalties. Like the penalties are a bigger part of this for me. Like if guys aren't executing, like yeah, that's that's on that's on coaching, but that's also on some of the personnel too, right? It's kind of like a little little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. The penalties are alarming on the offensive line. That's discipline. Yeah, and we're not. We're not seeing it. I mean, the Mike, you mentioned it. the The process of getting the play in from the sideline is not smooth. Um, there, th- th- there's way 
too much gap in between in those like, you know, clock management decisions as to what direction the coaching staff wants to go and how they want to manage the clock. It seems like they're wasting seconds, you know, trying to figure out what their direction is. Um, and, you know, I, I just, I'm not, I'm not particularly impressed with this, this team's ability to, to correct mistakes, you know, uh, it's a, it's a real problem, the penalties. And, you know, we, it's, it, it, it's easy to, you know, pin losses on that. And that's not the, the only reason that Virginia Tech's losing a ton of games, but it's certainly a large one. I mean, Tech's given up, was it 419 yards of penalties in six games? It's bad. Like we're talking almost a whole football field the, for the penalties. The, um, Tech's offense can't overcome that. And, and as we can see, the defense clearly can't overcome it either. And, and the one thing, the, the one other thing I just want to touch on real quick, I think that Saturday's game against Pittsburgh, putting Brad Glenn in the booth. So that, that was kind of like a subtle thing that Virginia Tech did that I kind of liked. Like Brad Glenn through the first five games of the year had been on the field with Tyler Bowen in the booth. Saturday, they had them both in the booth it seemed to be a little bit more smooth getting the plays in. So maybe there's a little bit of improvement there. Maybe, maybe, you know, that's, that's a, uh, you know, communication execution type deal um, pre-snap that they can get corrected. So, you know, let's give that some time and see if they continue to do that. I, I do like that they tried something a little bit different and maybe that'll help with some of the pre-snap stuff that they're dealing with procedurally on the offensive side of the ball. But like, the penalties have been a killer. And if you're a team like Alabama, you know, Alabama committed, what was it like 15 penalties against Texas in game two. Right. And they overcame it because they have a Heisman trophy winner quarterback and he made the plays that matter in the fourth quarter. But like Virginia tech obviously doesn't have a Heisman winner on their team. And <laughs> so like, you're not going to be able to overcome games where you're committing 10, 12, 15 penalties, like against West Virginia, against old dominion, like, that's when we were all complaining about how bad it was with the penalties and it's still been bad, but like, I think the bottom line is like there are teams that Virginia tech, you know, has played and, or, you know, is going to play down the stretch where, you know, you look at the team and it's like, okay, this is a team that's got more talent, right? Like Miami's not playing great football right now. They got more talent. NC state, they have their records good, but they've been a little, underwhelming offensively and we don't know what the health task Devin Leary is but like they got more talent but then you look at like the back half of the schedule like none of the four teams remaining in in the month of November have more talent than Virginia Tech like UVA Liberty Georgia Tech and Duke do not have more talent um, than Virginia Tech Georgia Tech I guess like from a composite standpoint they're pretty comparable but like you're not looking at this like if Virginia Tech loses like four out of the remaining six and four of them are in the month of November, we're not going to sit here on this podcast and say, yeah, Virginia Tech lost to a team with more talent. We're going to be talking about what Virginia Tech did wrong to lose a football game. And it's been a little bit of both through the first six weeks, right? But I think Virginia Tech is in the spot now where, like, I think fans are looking at it on social media. I'm guilty of it sometimes, too, when I'm watching a game where I'm like, yep, Tech's just not talented enough. And I think that's true, right? In, in some cases, Tech's not talented enough in positions that matter. But I think at the same time, like the caliber of opponent that Tech's been playing this year, right? Coming into the year, people are like, oh, the schedule's soft. The schedule's this, the schedule's that. 
And the one thing I was trying to caution people is like tech's been in no position to call the schedule soft with the way the team has played over the better part of the last decade. Like, is it favorable? Sure. But like the schedule clearly isn't soft. Like if it is, if it is, it's a Virginia tech, it's a Virginia tech problem. If they're not beating the soft opponents, right? Oh, it absolutely is a Virginia tech problem for sure. Like I, I thought in the Carolina game that Virginia tech was out talented. Yes, right, right. I didn't get that feeling against Pitt. No. I got the feeling that's against Pitt that they were just not not prepared and not executing. Yep, that's my point. Pitt, and Pitt looked like a program that, say what you will about Pat Narduzzi because he's a clown on. <laughs> Over the course of his tenure there, he has built something in Pittsburgh that is sustainable. He's got a culture. He's got culture. He's got, he's got a culture. He He's a little better than Steve Adazio. It's something that Brett Price <laughs> at baseline. <laughs> try to tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> He's definitely better than Adazio. Yeah, yes, I, but how much? <laughs> not convinced. More, not no, convinced. He's that much better. Most I mean, years, most year, most years. No, I mean, most years, no. But like Adazio could never get over seven wins. Like this is. Yeah, but, Something Narduzzi is doing had consistently a now. Heisman finalist and a Blitnikoff Award winner last year, though. Like that's Pickett, my point. Like Pickett's, Pickett stunk for four years. We and then, were, we would clown that, on him. Like, on but that's kind of my point, right? Like we're gonna we're not gonna give Narduzzi credit for getting Kenny Pickett over the hump, right? No, we're gonna give Mark no. Whipple credit. Exactly. Exactly. That's yes. my point. Like so. Yes. Like yeah. Like clearly Narduzzi's had a bit more bit more success than Steve Adazio, but is he that much better? Yeah, that's that's fair. That's fair. Hey, make a good point. You make a good point. Might be a little, maybe a little better. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think that's fair. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm not here to defend. Pit fans are not. I think Pit fans are going to regret that extension. I will yeah, say that. It, I don't know why Virginia Tech fans would be looking for something like this, but if you're interested in listening to a very entertaining podcast, the Loyal Sons, that that's literally what they're called. They're a Pittsburgh podcast. I've been on there before. They have a really big following on on social media. It's like three guys just shooting the shit about pit football. They are hysterical and they're right on the money. And it's like the voice of the fan. They're very, very good. So if anybody's looking for that aspect of it, go listen. But like my, my point is they feel the same way about Narduzzi as kind of we do. It's like, he's fine, but like, is he like a great coach? No. Like, should he have fired Mark Whipple? No. Like hiring the Boston College offensive coordinator Frank Signetti and just just having him just hand you know make sure that Phil Dracovic by the way decent quarterback just or not Phil Dracovic uh, Phil Dracovic when he was at BC trying to get him to like hand the ball off a million times that like didn't work out right so he leaves BC goes to Pittsburgh and Pat Narduzzi says yeah you can hand the ball off a million times here that offense will work here I don't want to throw the ball anymore with you know my Bolitnikov award winner and my Heisman finalist I don't want to do that anymore. Um, they're gone now, so let's just run the ball a billion times a game. So Frank Signetti's fitting in great on Pat Narduzzi's staff. To be fair, the running back ran for 360 yards against us. I was going to say, to be fair, if Tech had Israel Abanacandle, I'd be wanting him to get 25, 30 carries a game as well. Yeah. Okay, good transition, though. Uh, Malachi's back. First quarter, internet blows up. Savior has arrived. Ricky LeBloom. Yep. something along those lines is malachi uh, thomas our lord and savior my column there we go <laughs> um, maybe 
He's going to no, have to he's be. Not. He's going to have to be. Okay, so he, he's not that. He's not that guy, though. Like he's good. I, he's I, good. I, I, he's good. He's he's yeah. definitely good. Is he Bijan Robinson? No, no. no. <laughs> exactly. So no. He's, he's not gonna. No. He's not gonna all of a sudden revolutionize this offense. But I, I think it's definitely fair. It, it doesn't to, take all that much to revolutionize this offense. Can he get enough on the ground? to create some sort of balance well, that's, where that's it's what, not third maybe, and every time. Maybe. That's what I was saying off the top. Like, can Virginia Tech get enough balance in the running game, right, to play more complementary football on offense? Because I think that's the path, like, for Virginia Tech being an okay offense the rest of the year. Like, just don't be ab- an abject failure on that side of the ball, right? Like, I'm not asking – I'm not asking a bunch of mid-tier three stars to all of a sudden go out and be like national championship good. Like I'm just asking for more than 14 points a game on offense (laughs) against, against like middling (laughs) competition in the ACC. Like I'm not talking about NC state. I'm talking about like Georgia tech Duke. Look, Duke's improved. Right. But like, nobody's going to argue that like Duke's is like elite team in the ACC. Like they're definitely improved. But like, hey, I'm not asking now. Andrew. Andrew's on the podcast. I'm not, watch it. I'm not asking. My point is Duke, <laughs> Georgia Tech and UVA are three of the five remaining ACC opponents like Virginia Tech. All I'm asking the offense to do is score more than 14 points against that caliber of opponent, which I don't think is that much to ask for. Right? I, I definitely think they can do that. I do too. And I don't I know think, if they will do it against all of no, no. them, but it's certainly possible. I don't know if they will either, but it's possible. And look, that, that's, I think the biggest takeaway for me from the, other than how poorly the defense played, I think that's the biggest takeaway for me from the pit game is like the offense showed that they can improve. And it sounds, it sounds ridiculous because I felt like multiple times this year, the offense hit rock bottom. I'm like, how can it get any worse? But I also wasn't seeing signs in any of these games that all of a sudden, like Virginia Tech's offense was going to get even a little bit better. Pitt provided us a window into thinking that that's possible, right? Like, okay, could Virginia Tech's offense improve is something I feel like we've beaten into the freaking ground on this podcast. It's like, of course they can improve. They've been awful. We hadn't seen any signs of it really until this past Saturday against Pittsburgh. So that's the most encouraging thing coming out of the game is you get Malachi Thomas back. All of a sudden the offense looks I don't want to say competent, but they they didn't look like a total disaster on you that can just side say of all better. the four quarters. It looked they looked better. better. <laughs> they they did they looked better. I mean, once again, it, it would be hard to look worse. Yes. Yes. They, and they did it against a defense that was at least to this point in the season markedly better than the Carolina defense and West Virginia defense before. Because when Virginia Tech couldn't score on Carolina, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, they're not going to score on anybody. Yeah, that I think I think we're you know? all at that point. We're all in that boat. You know, you know? Car- Carolina couldn't stop my my grandmother from scoring a touchdown. Yeah, and I and I know a few I wasn't weeks ago. Yeah, and I know I wasn't on on the recap for that, but like I listened to you guys and like I had the same thought. Like when Tech couldn't score against that defense, I'm like, this thing's a wrap. They can't get better, right? And they played a much better unit defensively and played a lot better this Saturday. And I think that's that's the most encouraging sign. Can they do it again against Miami? <sighs> I mean, <laughs> Miami. Miami's defense has been bad. Miami's defense is worse than Pittsburgh's. Now, the issue yeah, that the issue that Virginia Tech's going to run into here is that Miami is really, really, really bad against the pass. 
I think what Virginia Tech wants to do is they want to run the ball because I don't think they want Grant to throw it 35, 40 times, clearly, right? So, and Miami's not great against the run either. Like, let's make that clear. They're they're not a very good defense, but they are worse against the pass. Like, you guys watched that Middle Tennessee State game a couple of weeks ago. Like, Middle Tennessee State was airing it out on Miami. He airing just got it out. that saved on his, on his YouTube TV. That's just, yeah, I mean, Stock still had him. I mean, it, Miami was out coached. I mean, we, it's we, just a just a, it's a, a shtick. I know it's a shtick, right, on this podcast, but like seriously, like Stock's still out coached Mario. He, he is a shrewd offensive schemer. Yes, generational yes. mind. <laughs> I mean, he's been there for a generation, and he'll so. be there for another generation too. He's got the greatest uh, contract in the history of the sport. It just like, like the clause that just every year it renews basically just by like existing. He's got I the greatest it, contract of all time. I find it crazy that that Tyler Van Dyke has looked as off as he's looked this year. That like I did not like I thought Van Dyke had a chance to be the best quarterback in the conference. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has not been like like, yeah, things aren't going all that great in Blacksburg right now for Brent Pry in year one, but they're not going all that great for Mario Cristobal either. And Cristobal took over a way better team. How did uh, – let me ask you guys this. How did Van Dyke throw for almost and, – and by the way, this past Saturday was Van Dyke's best game of the year. He's been pretty – he's been pretty disappointing. Um, he threw for almost 500 yards in the game against North Carolina, and Miami still found a way to only score 24 points in that game. How is that possible? Oh my God, he threw for four ninety six. That's what I'm saying. Like that was his best game of the year. Now, I oh. listened to a, um, I listened to a podcast called Split Zone Duo. Richard Johnson, colleague of mine at Sports Illustrated, said on that podcast that Tyler, he, in his opinion, Tyler Van Dyke writes checks with his mind as arm can't cash. In other words, he doesn't have the arm, right? He doesn't have the arm. He's got the intellect, doesn't have the arm. My argument is, is it that or is it the fact that Mario Cristobal is just not the molder of quarterback minds, right? Like he distinctly had Justin Herbert looking like he was fine, right? He was fine in college. He wasn't the quarterback he is now at the pro level because he's got an element of running to his game that Cristobal would not let him incorporate into his system at Oregon. Like Herbert did not run the ball like he does in the pros. Right. And that's a crystal ball thing. <laughs> that's a crystal ball thing. Herbert's always been able to throw. So like this fan, this whole Tyler Van Dyke regression, is this a crystal ball thing or is this a Van Dyke thing? Like that's, that's my question. I don't know. Oh, I, I, I think it goes back to a, you know, a semi joke that I've had on Twitter now, but it's starting to look more and more like a real thing. Um, Tony Elliott leaves Clemson and DJU all of a sudden is starting to look like a right. pretty pretty halfway decent quarterback and he's starting to look more like the guy everyone thought he could be. Um, Tony Elliott comes to Virginia and Brennan Armstrong has no idea what's going on. Right. So I definitely think, you know, scheme, usage, all that stuff matters. And, you know, Robert and I, for all the clowning he got for that bonehead call against against Virginia Tech last year with the, the tackle pass or whatever the hell they were doing. Like he's got Syracuse rolling on offense with Garrett Schrader, who was not very good not too long ago. 
And so, yeah, having good offensive minds and guys that know how to take advantage of players' talents makes a big difference. And I'm not sure that Mario Cristobal is the best the best option to have is like your offensive leader. Cause I, I don't know that that it, it doesn't look like it's fitting Van Dyke so far. And I know that Xavier Restrepo is out and that's a, a huge loss for Miami, but yeah, Tyler Van Dyke just has not looked like any close to the same player up until last week. Yeah. I mean like, and that's the reality in a conference where coaching changes are happening across the board. Right. Like you know, and that applies to Virginia Tech too. And, you know, it's not necessarily a dig at the coach, but like we can't get away from the fact that guys like Johnny Jordan, Parker Clements are playing worse this year and committing penalties that they weren't committing before. This is reality. Like I'm not going to bag on Joe Rudolph as a football coach because his resume speaks for itself. And it's not like Wisconsin does it with five-star recruits across the board because they don't. But that's just what we're dealing with here, you know, and on the other side of the coin, because it has to be mentioned on every Virginia Tech podcast at least once. It took six months for Josh Hoople to start making Hendon Hooker look like Superman. Six months. It was happening last year. It's kicked into overdrive now. Six months, he looked like a completely different quarterback. We always knew he was good. We always knew he had potential. He was up and down. With these coaches, when you're dealing with guys who, for the most part, are relatively close to each other in terms of talent, you know, the mean is pretty darn strong there. It's what can you get out of these guys? And, and like you're saying right now, like I, I don't think Mario Cristobal has done an excellent job getting the most out of Tyler Van Dyke to this point. That being said, after benching him, he has stuck with him. And the dude went out and threw for almost 500 yards last week which despite the loss and the amount of points that, you know, the Canes were able to put on the board still concerns me given what we've seen from this Virginia Tech secondary over the course of the last, you know, three games. And hang with me here. Cause this is going to be a bit all over the place um, in a good way. It makes me wonder like how much of the blame should be passed on the head coach versus the assistant coaches. Right. So a good example is, the Robert and I point, and then Jason Beck, the quarterback's coach, right? They both leave UVA. UVA's offense is worse. Um, they go to Syracuse. All of a sudden, Syracuse's offense is finding different ways to score. They haven't run the ball great, but they're finding different ways to score. Garrett Trader's playing a lot better. Um, I would say they're a more balanced offense this year, than, even though they haven't run the ball quite as well with Sean Tucker. Everybody knows how good of a player Sean Tucker is now, right? The book's out on him. They're a more balanced offense this year than they were last year. Um, Ricky, you mentioned Tony Elliott, right? Comes over from Clemson, uh, UVA's offense, um, their offensive staff. You know, they haven't been able to get the most out of Brian Armstrong. Or I believe you guys have developed a jingle for them over. Oh, yes. Eats, right. That's right. That, that's 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 right. On the basketball conference podcast, you got a uh, little Mickey Mouse Clubhouse musical drop that we incorporate <laughs> in. Um my God, that's Tony Elliott's music. Um, <laughs> as soon as I heard you say that, because I'm a huge, like I was a huge WWE fan as a kid. So like Jim Ross, like imagine him saying, "By God, that's Tony Elliott's music." <laughs> oh yeah, you know, the re- the recap last night when uh, I got that music going, I was like, "Joe, you got the uh, you got the sound drop? I think you do." Um, 
that I laughed harder than I usually do. Uh, <laughs> the other point I wanted to make, so like another example is like Miami's quarterback situation, right? We talk about Tyler Van Dyke regressing. We're putting it on Cristobal. You know what's interesting though? It's Michigan's, Michigan's offensive coordinator last year was Josh Gaddis. He was a Burroughs Award winner, top assistant coach in the sport. Everybody put all the praise on Josh Gaddis. Nobody talked about Harbaugh, right? Because Harbaugh was... You know, coming into the year, he was on the hot seat. Then he takes, you know, Michigan to the playoff in the hardest, you know, in, in the second hardest division in college football behind the SEC West, um, the Big Ten East, of course. Takes him to the takes him to the college football playoff. Then Gaddis leaves. Everybody's like, "Oh my God, how is Michigan going to adjust? How they're gonna?" The the offense hasn't missed a beat at Michigan. They've been really good all year. Uh, Gaddis goes to Miami, and he can't get anything out of Tyler Van Dyke. So. How good of a how and again, I'm Gaddis, I'm sure is a good is a good offensive coordinator, right? A good coach. But like it makes you wonder how much of this is fit, right? Brent Venables, great defensive coordinator. He's going to Oklahoma. Oklahoma can't stop anybody right now, right? You talk about Brent Price defense and like Tex been struggling the last couple of weeks. Oklahoma can't stop anybody. And Brent Venables undisputed the top defensive coordinator in the sport of the better part of the last decade. Nobody's gonna argue that, right? So like there are some questions about assistant coaches making the jump to head coach assistant coaches changing staffs and now working for a new head coach. Like there's a lot of that going on here in the ACC and in Virginia tech and Miami's case going into the game this weekend. Halfway through the season, six games remaining. Things need to change, right? Because the stuff that Virginia Tech has, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter if they've been able to get away with it or not, right? Because I, I don't think at any point you were going to have the firepower to outgun a guy like Drake May. But, you know, the, the shine of the new has worn off. You're halfway through the year. And like you mentioned, Mike, looking ahead at the next six games, you have five games that are winnable, four games that should be certainly winnable, four games where no one's going to be saying, you know, Virginia Tech is at a massive talent deficit. And hell, man, if Devin Leary doesn't play, all the games are winnable. True. Very, very true. But they gave the most vague possible yeah. timeline for his return. What the hell was that? He could be ready this week. He could be ready in six weeks, but he's tough. We'll see if he gives it a go. That's coach speaks for, <laughs> I know what it is. I'm not telling you. Yeah. And I don't really like it when, when coaches do that because you're kind of putting the onus on the player at that point. Like if you've got a coach, level, right? At least if you've got a level. coach going out to the media and saying, Hey, like my guy could be back next week or he could be back six weeks from now. It depends on how well he can tough it out. Right. Well, if he doesn't tough it out after the first week or two, then all of a sudden everyone thinks he's a wuss. Yeah. And it's I'm like, fine well, with, well, hold on a second. Maybe the guy had a separated shoulder. Right. And the guy couldn't throw a damn football. Like let's, that's why, you know, being transparent with injuries, I know coaches hate it, but like you, you start throwing guys under the bus. So you don't really mean to, but that's what you're doing. I mean, Mark Stoops, like Mark Devin Stoops had a great been clip. Through enough injuries. I think he's pretty tough. Yeah, and like I'm, I'm less like when when professionals like pro coaches say or like at the NFL level, they're like, ah, well, you know, he's this, he's that. We'll see. Like the players are making all the money, so like if you throw it on the player and 
you know, the player's health. Like, is it a shitty thing to do? Yeah, sure. But at the same time, like they're making millions of dollars college level. It's not like that. I know there's NIL and like Bryce Young's making millions and like Quinn Ewers makes, you know, a shit ton of money, but like a lot of these guys are just, they're making some walking around money. Right. So it really puts some of these players in a really tough spot. Yeah, exactly. But regardless to answer the question, before we go into our ACC picks and stuff here, you know, what do we need to see? Where are the biggest areas that Virginia tech needs to improve? Linebacker. You know, if they want to end the season with some sort of momentum because it's huge. I mean, it, the importance of these last few games cannot be understated because if you finish with even five wins, six would be great. Like, but all that comes in a row at the end. There's an impression that Brent Pry is building something. But if this spirals out of control, Tech ends up a three-win team, you know, with losses to Duke, Georgia Tech, and UVA. Like, there is going to be a sense of incompetence. And for better or worse, like, completely uncharted territory for this program, you know, for over 30 years. If tech goes if tech goes three and nine, I I don't like making statements like this for first year head coaches, but like that would be a situation where I would be I would be out on the staff if tech goes three and nine, which is kind of crazy to say in like year one, but this roster had issues, but this roster this roster coupled with the schedule was not three and nine bad. Like I thought there was a defined floor at like five wins going into the year. And the reason why, uh, the only reason why I thought it could be worse is like tech had injuries. Tech's been pretty, outside of Malachi Thomas, tech's been pretty healthy. I know it's like, okay, outside of the best running back on the team, but like tech's been pretty healthy everywhere else. You know, like offensive line has stayed pretty healthy. They've just played worse. So like, I think if tech only wins one game the rest of the way and they go three and nine with losses, like considering the schedule, like say they lose to like, first-year head coach at Duke, they lose a rivalry game to UVA, a bad, really bad UVA team, they lose to Georgia Tech with an interim coach, like, lose to Liberty, like, if that stuff, if that stuff, like, came to fruition, and that's what's on the table, like, man, I'm, I'm telling you, that would not be that's not a way to endear yourself to the fan base is losing to UVA in year one when they've only beaten you once in the last decade and a half. And then to boot, like losing to an interim coach and another first year coach, like that would not be the way to, to operate this thing. Vibes matter. Perception matters. And Andrew's exactly right. If tech has the lackluster first half of the year that they've had so far, and then comes out and plays strong in the second and they get to five or six wins, that sets you up for a productive offseason. It sets you up with the opportunity to sell your program to your own players and to, and to future players in recruiting. Uh, you can't do that if you win three games. You probably can't do that if you win four games. Ask it's Jeff Collins. But it's, it's a lot tougher. Ask you Jeff Collins. There, yeah, like you, you, can't, you, can't win, you can't sell your vision when there is – there is a, a, a 
tangible track record that everyone can go look at. And it, and it contradicts your vision. So yeah, th- th- this, th- this stretch is pivotal. And I think it starts defensively. They've got to get back to playing they, how they were the first three or four games of the year. The linebacker play needs to get better. Dax needs to get back to being who he was a few weeks ago. Uh, Taiwan Garbett needs to get healthy. He's been one of those guys that's been banged up, missed the last game against Pittsburgh. Dorian Strong needs to get healthy. He missed uh, the last two games. Um, if if Tech can get back to being a, a competent defense, then all of a sudden Tech is Tech should be in these games till the end, regardless of how they go down. Your your chances of winning go up dramatically because um, Tech's not winning a shootout this year. It's just not happening. So the defense really needs to get back and get right over the next two weeks. They've got a, a big opportunity this week against an offense that's really trying to find their own way and hasn't really looked comfortable all year in Miami. If, if Devin Leary's out next week, that's another big opportunity to come in against a backup quarterback and an offense that you know has some skill position players that are worthy of note but isn't quite talented as they have been over the last – two to four seasons. Um, and then you get into the weaker half of the schedule, which certainly has some, some bugaboos. I mean, Mike Elko's getting things done in Durham and he deserves credit for that. Um, Georgia tech has looked a lot better under Brent key. I mean, it's, it's night and day over there. Uh, and then obviously UVA is going to be a toss up game just no matter how bad they may be and no matter how bad Virginia tech may be. So I think it all starts with the defense. I think they've got to get better. This is going to be a tough matchup this week, but, if they can show us something this week at home uh, against the Miami team that may or may not be ready to quit on the season because that's been their MO, you know, they get to this point in the year and if they're out, which Miami's out of the coastal conversation, I think right now, um, that's, that's kind of been their culture. That's kind of been their MO. Maybe crystal ball is able to change that, but until I see it, I'm not really buying it. It's a good point, Ricky. If the pass is prologue, we have Miami at a good time. Yeah, I don't expect Miami to come out there guns blazing and, and playing their best football. I, I I just don't see it. So, I mean, you look at Vegas seven and a half right now. I guess actually, transition into our ACC picks here. You know, which there's only four games this week. Yeah, you're getting a lot of bye weeks in the ACC in the next two weeks. So, so, so let's so let's bring this up really quick. And we mentioned this at the end of last podcast, Andrew. But a reminder for folks: Virginia Tech is on ESPN three this week. They're on the regional sports networks. Crap. Unless things have changed, the ACC network does not have a game scheduled in that time slot at twelve thirty. Andrew, do you remember what programming I told you would be on? the ACC network during this time frame? Oh, yes. I used this as barroom conversation all weekend, Ricky. It's uh, <laughs> the 2021 Virginia Tech Miami game. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to watch this year's game? Let's watch last year's game. That's what we need to see. Because is the one Lundberg thing you do. Is the starting quarterback in that game? Or did they just play him a lot? Blumrick? They pulled oh. Burmeister halfway through the game and put in Blumrick. Yeah. Yeah. Burmeister is used to getting pulled. <laughs> Um, <laughs> also, I, I, like you know, just only, back maybe. to the hand and hooker thing one more time. Like, I can't go anywhere without that being brought up. Oh, dude, yeah, it's getting it's getting out of hand. 
Yeah, like, it should. It should be. Virginia Tech transfer. Hendon Hooker. It's like, guys, he transferred two years ago. Like, yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm not happy about it either, but please stop. Got to got twist that knife, baby. Oh, God, it hurts. Got to twist that knife. <laughs> it hurts. I mean, the whole reason why the ACC got a network, you know, a, a television network was so was that. to show games. Was so that games could be, you know, games could be put on like PBS and. ACC yeah, so Network could, could show be tape like tape recorded and played a year later. Yeah, and AC, yeah, I was gonna say ACC Network could show like cricket or something. Like that's why we did this ah, contract man, like, for sure. John yeah, Swafford, like, packed house, yeah. exactly like packed house, sold out Lane Stadium, which apparently yeah, yeah, out. yeah. Props to the props to the 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 admin folks for getting that sold out. Another home game sold out. This fan yeah. base deserves a good team, man. Yeah, like this fan base deserves a good team. They've, they've been, been showing, showing up, up all year. All year yeah. they've been showing up. You're right, Mike. If you can't make it to the game, catch it on Blue Ridge PBS. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Catch it. Catch yeah, it on the right Discovery after. Channel. I was gonna say, check it out. Yeah, check it out on PBS. It'll come on right after this old house, you know. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Mike, that's the future you're <laughs> That's the future you're you're walking into right now. I mean, we're gonna start watching this old house on Saturday. Yeah, I know. The days I, of Mike McDaniel's in-depth college football analysis of like Colorado State are coming to an end. This old house is up. So I met my totally. Un, this is totally unrelated. I know we're running long. I don't. I don't care. I haven't been on the podcast in a couple of weeks, so I'm just <laughs> rambling today. But I met my neighbors. I met my neighbors for the first time. For I like my neighbors, which is good. You gotta like your neighbors. I like my neighbors. But I told Kate like. First start, Kate and I have been together a decade, right? So I told Kate, like, when we first started dating, I was like, you know, I, I got to, like, when I'm older, I got to, like, perfect the dad wave, right? Like, where, like, I have my kid, and I'm, like, walking down the street with my kid, and I got to, like, perfect the dad wave to my neighbors. <laughs> and, like, I literally did it for the first time, like, two days ago, because, like, I had met my neighbors on Friday, and then, like, Saturday, I was out walking the dog and walking the, you know, Kate and I were walking the baby, like, through the neighborhood. And like, I saw my neighbors drive by, I had the dad wave going and I, I just said, you know what? I am old as hell. So this old house reference, like that is probably in my future. That's like the next thing to add on to the list of like dad things that I do. There you go. Mike there needs go. a pair of air monarchs. Hell yeah, man. The new, ba- <laughs> new balance elites, baby. Like Manifestation season. You manifested the dad wave. <laughs> now this old house is next can you manifest yes. when's your win? birthday i'll buy Michael, you like a dvd season my i can get some for my parents house my birthday my birthday's in june so you got some time right, we got some time can, got some. can you manifest a win michael can you do that for me oh let's talk about the picks shall we all right we'll get it started uh 3 30 on acc network so we do have one game on acc network uh Number 15, NC State, versus number 18, Syracuse. It's at the Jiffy Pop Dome. Syracuse, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Again, the status of Devin Leary is still very much up in the air. So if that is settled business by the time this game starts, this spread could completely flip, but who knows? It's absolutely criminal that this isn't the 730 game on ABC. Um, Florida State's about to enter the toilet drain of their season, so we don't need to watch that on ABC. Um, we absolutely should want to watch a Saturday night game in the Carrier Dome between a backup quarterback for the Wolfpack and, as Mike McDaniel has coined, the worst 5-0 and team in the country, trademark. Yes. Um, TM, baby. 
So with that said, I paid good money, Rick. Go Rick, I paid with... good. I paid good money for that trademark. Rick. <laughs> I'm gonna go with Dino. Um, if if Devin Leary's healthy, then yeah, I think I think NC State wins this game on the road. I don't think he's going to be healthy. I don't think he's going to play. So give me the Orange, which are actually favored in this game at three and a half, which is wild. Yeah, give me uh, give me Syracuse too with no Devin Leary. Will they be um, the worst six in the game like, in the country? Uh, has Garrett Schrader been a better quarterback than Devin Larry this season anyway? Yes, kind of has. I mean, it's not out of the uh, – we can have a discussion about that. It's not out of Mike, the own possibility. Mike, how much would it cost to update that trademark to 6-0? and Man, I mean, I'm going to have to stop with my bit. It's not really a bit. I was actually serious. Like, I did think when <laughs> when they were when they were 4-0 before they, you know, had their walkthrough against Wagner, um, I called them the worst 4-0 team in the country. And then, like, you went down the list, and I was – like, p- some people thought that was a bit. Like, the sideline Syracuse account that got in an argument on social media, like, he thought that was a bit. Like, it wasn't a bit. Like, I was serious. Like, I went through the teams that were 4-0. Syracuse is the worst one. They're, they were the worst one. And they're probably the worst five and team too. Who's worse? I mean, I would assume so. Dino's getting it done. I mean, he saved his job. Can you I don't can you think... believe that Dino Babers outlasted Justin Fuente? Still blows my mind. It's shocking. And really. Bronco Mendenhall. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Bronco. That was a shock too. Uh, so I agree. Syracuse, um, Clemson, Florida State. Here's another question for you, Mike. Clemson like could make it to the college football playoff. Could they compete or would they just get absolutely pumped? Uh, I mean, it depends. Like, I think the gap is not quite as wide between the top three teams and like Clemson or Tennessee or Oklahoma state, whoever you have is like your number four team. It's probably not as wise as we thought it was. Like, I think Ohio State's really freaking good, and they haven't had Jackson Smith and Jigba healthy basically all year. Um, Alabama's got some flaws. Georgia's clearly got some flaws. Like, that's what happens when your entire defense gets drafted. Like, you're going to have some issues, go figure. So, like, Georgia's not perfect this year either, and I don't think Alabama's quite as good as people thought they would be. Um, so, yeah, I think Clemson, this version of Clemson we've seen the last couple of weeks can absolutely compete in, in a college football playoff. Like, we got to stop judging DJU, like, through the prism of Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Like, no, he's not, like, uh, the best quarterback in school history, but is he, like, Taj Boyd good? Like, I think he can get there. Yeah, so, he's not there yet, but he's Not I mean, there yet, but can he get there? Sure he could. He yeah, could be, like, yeah. that class, I think. Yeah, it this is like I said. This is going to be where Florida State season starts to go down the drain. Um, they're they're coming off big losses. They're not winning this game. Give me Clemson, whatever the points are. I got Clemson too, and I think Florida State's been Florida State's definitely trending in a better direction. But they've hit like yeah. the tougher. They've hit the tougher part of their schedule where like yep. they couldn't cover Wake's receivers, which and how sounds they, ridiculous, but how they respond over after this game against Clemson is massive. I think to me to figure out whether or not this is legit. Yeah, I agree. I would agree. I mean, the remaining schedule for Florida state after this Clemson game, Georgia tech. So obviously should be a winnable game there. Then you're on the road at Miami You're on the road at Syracuse. Then you have the raging Cajuns. 
And as always, they end the season with Florida. They'll probably be favored in every single one of those games. They will not win every single one of the. They will not, but they will not, but they will be favored in every single one of those remaining games. Yeah, but I could also very much like if Ricky's the season will go down the drain. Theory is correct. You know, I could see them dropping games at Miami and at Syracuse, and then you know the gas being out of the tank at that point. And right. You lose Florida in the end. They lose Florida. It's and coming. At that point, what once looked very promising, and you were back. It, it's right. kind of similar. I think it's kind of similar for me to like Miami. Like how how well has Mike Norvell changed the culture at Florida State to where they don't quit? Because yeah, they, they, they they've had a history of that ever since Jimbo left, and it's the same thing for Miami. Can can Mario Cristobal flip that? Because that's been that's been their mo in Miami for years at this point over almost a decade yeah and florida state probably should have should have won that game on saturday i mean they they blew a big lead number one but like number two they were driving down the field to win and they were on the cusp of field goal range and they were putting the ball in the air for some reason and jordan travis had miscommunication with his receiver and threw like an awful pass that got intercepted in the end zone um how does florida state respond for this game right rick just talked about how are they going to respond like coming out clemson how are they going to respond for this game? Like I, on one hand, it's easy to get up for a game when you're playing against Clemson, but on the other hand, it's like, that was a really tough loss. And now you got to play a team that's rolling and you want to show that, you know, you're going to be competitive against a team like Clemson moving forward. Like you got to play well on Saturday, but like, how do you respond after a really tough loss this past weekend? I'm interested to see that part of it too. Yeah. Those, they certainly should have a good environment. I mean, I'm not here to overreact just yet. They have two losses, both games in which they were competitive against Wake with Hartman and NC State with Leary. The latter being on the road, and they only lost by two. Very close game. You know, there's, I still see a situation here where Florida State can walk away from this season feeling a real sense of momentum and the fan base has a renewed confidence in Norvell. But I think I think they're growing eight. I think they're growing eight and four. I think they're growing eight and four. Like Jordan Traps has been good. Yeah, I agree. Like I think they're growing eight and four. So like I think that's and that's way better than I thought. Like I thought they'd be like six and six, seven and five. I think they're gonna win eight. But are we taking Clemson? Did we even say the spread? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're taking Clemson. Three and a half Clemson, yeah. but I'm taking that. Okay. Yeah. Spooky line. Why really? Three and a half? Ooh. Wow. That's low. Interesting. Maybe Vegas knows. Okay. Uh, Keep an eye on that. Okay, we got Duke, Carolina. Three and a half. Sorry. Okay, continue. Yeah, no, trust me, that just blew my mind. Yeah, the uh, degenerate in Mike's head is just screaming. <laughs> well, no, because like I, I saw some weird lines last week. I stayed off a lot of the ACC games last week because I was like, man, this is weird. These are some weird lines. Um, yeah anyway sorry okay well duke is a seven point underdog at home against carolina duke now losers of uh two of their last three yeah lost to georgia tech last week on the road that was a tough one Uh, tough one for duke backers such as myself me too um 
so I I actually like Duke to cover here. I think Carolina probably wins. I just think they have they have more talent. Um, I think Duke covers here. Like Carolina's, and this is why like, I, Duke had a rough game against Georgia Tech in the trenches. But I think overall they've held up pretty well up front on both sides of the ball this year. I think they can get after Carolina a little bit defensively enough to like ugly it up. Um, I think ultimately Carolina makes you know a few too many plays in the passing game. That's kind of what you know, allows Carolina to win this game. But I think Duke will play better in the trenches in this game. And I think they'll have enough success offensively to keep this game close. Uh, but give me, give me Carolina to win with Duke to cover. This is the exact kind of game that one would expect Carolina to win, but I don't believe in Mac Brown. So give me Duke in an upset. Yeah, I think Riley Leonard goes to town against these Carolina DBs. I don't know if Duke wins, but I think Duke covers. Duke definitely covers, I think. And yeah. I, I, if I had to even a pick them game, I, I think I would take Duke here. It, it's just Carolina's MO. They lose some of these games that they really shouldn't. All right. Well, our final game and the first game of the afternoon. Gross. Sold out crowd. A battle between two teams who combined have less wins than any other team playing in the ACC. Beautiful. Less than or equal Miami to. versus two and four Virginia Tech. Ten. Virginia Tech, the biggest underdog of the day in the ACC. Seven and a half point dogs at home. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Miami is going to win. I just, I that's kind of where I'm at with it. But I do think that Tech found a little something offensively. I think that Tech will have an opportunity to win this game. Like, I think Tech will keep it close. I actually like Tech to cover here. Um, but I think Miami ultimately wins the game. And and really what it comes down to is quarterback play. And no, has no Tyler Van Dyke has not looked very good this year, but he looked pretty good last weekend, right, against Carolina. And I think Virginia Tech's defense can be had and prove me wrong, right? That's kind of where I'm at with it. Like, Ricky's been talked about the entire podcast. The defense needs to play better this weekend. If they don't, I think Miami kind of gets out to an early lead and will be able to kind of hold on to it throughout the game. And it might not be quite as competitive, right? Similar to the to the UNC game we all watched a couple weeks ago. But yeah, I think Tech at home, sold out crowd. I think they can definitely keep this game competitive. But I think Miami wins. Taking Miami with the points. Um I just I don't have any faith in Tech's defense right now to to be able to get stops when they matter, and I I think Tech's going to be exposed vertically in the passing game. Um, Miami's going to get in space and it's going to be a problem. Tech's had an issue tackling for especially the last couple weeks here, um, even going back to West Virginia. Uh, even though Tech's playing better offensively, um, I. I I'm not sure that I buy that they can score even 29 again. So give me Miami to cover seven and a half. I, I think they probably win something like 10 to 10 to 13 points. Um, not, I don't think it'll be a blowout, but tech's probably going to kind of hang around for a little bit and then we'll see a two score game. Probably, Similar to yeah. Yeah. Two score game, maybe late third, early fourth, and then tech never really gets back into it. That's just kind of how I see it. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you guys. It's uh, 
just one of those things where right now, uh, given the gap in talent, tech has to put it all together at one time in order to get this one done. This is a talent uh, gap game. Yes, yeah, not a lot a, of games remaining are talent gap games. This is one of them. This is the like, one, actually. This is yeah. This Virginia is it. Tech has proven itself capable of, to some degree, getting it all together in an even talent game. I mean, Boston College, albeit that Dracovic and Zay Flowers were probably the two best players, certainly the best two offensive players participating in that game. But it's not going to be the case against Miami. Miami can beat you on the big play, which Virginia Tech has shown itself to be extremely vulnerable to. And in order to keep up, you have to play a perfect offensive game, which I just don't think they're going to do. So I like Miami by about two touchdowns, somewhere in that range. The 13 to 16 point range seems about correct to me. But it's absolutely a game that Tech is capable of winning because Miami is capable of losing to anyone. Yeah. Every year. Oh, yeah. Yep. But I'm not going to put my money there, you know, if I had to. I wouldn't bet be... on this game generally. No. No. This will be but... a big one for pride to get, by the way. Like, I think, you know, you're going to go down the stretch here. You're going to be playing against a few first-year head coaches, right? So you're playing Cristobal. Um, you're going to be playing, of course, uh, Mike Elko, and then you're going to be playing Tony Elliott. Then you're playing an interim coach, too. This would be a really nice one to get. This is the team with the most talent out of the first-year head coaches like remaining, right? I think NC State's the most talented team, probably. Well, not most talented, but the, the best coach team Virginia Tech's going to be playing down the stretch. Um, but this would be a nice one to get in terms of like the first-year head coach games that you're going to be playing. You're going to be playing a lot of those over the last six. This would be a good one to get. Last thing I'll say, this is a bring-your-own-guts game for Breon Murray and Armani Chapman. EYOG, bring-your-own-guts. They, they, they're going to be challenged in this game. They have not looked good over the last two weeks. Change it. Flip the narrative. Yeah, Mike, to your point from just a second ago, you know, one thing that the Fuente regime uh, really did lack was the signature wins. And Brent Pry has yet to pick up a signature win. You won a nice game against Boston College in your first home game, which was good crowd, good environment, whatever. We're still technically Vegas favorites in that game. Boston College obviously has proven itself to not be very good. Uh, You know, albeit that Miami is two and four, still Miami, still going to be a sold out crowd, still a program that this fan base and, you know, alumni base of the program has disdain for a game that not many nationally, not many regionally, as you can see here by the three guys in the Virginia Tech podcast, all picking Miami, expect you to win. It would be a big one because unless you're going to go out and beat NC State on the road in Raleigh on a Thursday night, beating UVA, Liberty, Duke, or Georgia Tech, those games are pressure in a different way. Those are games that people are now expecting you to win. Right. So grab yourself some goodwill. Maybe make up a little bit for, uh, you know, obviously a demoralizing start to the tenure in Norfolk and then a couple of humiliating ones against some regional rivals and and get a win that, uh, you know, get these people hyped up again, especially because you're going to have a lot of recruits in the building. 
you know, big home game. Miami, don't embarrass yourself. Crowd. Don't embarrass yourself because you need to get these uh, recruiting classes to start looking good or else you're going to be playing with this talent gap for a long time. And that does not spell well if you want to have a long and healthy tenure if you're Brent Pry. But yeah, that should about do it. Uh, any last words? Anything? Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, and yeah, this is a this is a big one. I I'm not going into it very confident, but Tech can really really change the narrative with a good performance against Miami. I have one request. And Miami's gettable. Miami is gettable. I have one request. Even if you lose this game, show some more progress, please. Yeah. Like, I have a low bar this year. Show some progress. No, uh, no school offensive records being broken this week. That's a – No. That's like a bare that's, minimum. That's a, low, that's a low bar to clear, but we couldn't do it last week. So let's, let's try to do that this week. Please. Yeah, honestly – In front of your home crowd. <laughs> please. Like, like – Silver linings are, you know, obviously not fun, but cover the spread. Don't get, you know, killed by your own penalties. Show some hope that maybe against lesser competition, you'll be able to put something together consistent. And the mood on this podcast next week will uh, be a lot better than if they come up with three or four new things that we need to worry about, about this team. Like so. if tech, if tech plays well, loses by a field goal, but like shoots themselves in the foot, like five or six times, like I'm going to be like, okay, well, there were still some signs of improvement, but tech's still doing some of the stuff that like we expected them to do. Maybe they can win some of the remaining four games. If they lose the game by like three scores and they're doing the same shit that we've been telling them not to do for, you know, the better part of the last two months, like that's going to really frustrate me. So just show some progress. Mike comes yeah. back to the podcast and curses not once but twice yes mike is spicy yes yeah, we're six games in it's time to uh you know show some progress touching the stove in the same bring spot your own there. guts yeah don't touch the stove in the same spot every damn time that's right i like that all right time for bed peace out good night everyone. gentlemen enjoy the game if you're in blacksburg i'll see you there i'll be there as always go hookies. Mm-hmm.